Dear congregation, in the opening verses of Isaiah 41, God calls the nations of this world, the islands, he says, the remotest places, the furthest reaches of this world. We would say the ends of the earth. He calls them, and he calls them to hear what he has to say. And specifically, he calls them, we read in verse 1, to judgment. Let us come near to, gather to judgment. And this is not referring to the final judgment, but the Lord would try these nations. He would know what is in their hearts. Of course, he knows what is in their hearts, but he sets it up here as as if they must answer to him, the Most High God. And he will indict them of idolatry and unbelief, going after other gods when he alone is God. And the Lord would have the nations to know also today that he alone rules and reigns. He alone is the sovereign over the inhabitants of the earth. He alone has power to set up and to bring down He rules over all the kings of the nations. And after calling these nations to respect him and to acknowledge him, he turns to his own people who are called after his name. Israel, whom he has chosen in that particular way. The seed of Abraham, his his friend, as he says. For he also knows what what is in their heart. And yes, they are very small compared to the nations round about them. And the Lord knows, and he declares it by the mouth of Isaiah, that they will be taken into exile. They will be scattered among the nations because of their sin. And yet, as he speaks of that, it will happen about a hundred years after Isaiah, but the Lord tells them beforehand. He says, he has a promise for them, a special word for them. He will not cast them away. And even in the midst of great trials, which will come upon them, great afflictions, he has a word which still stands. For sinners today, fear not, for I am with thee. And it is to that that we especially want to listen with the help of the Lord. This message, which you will find repeated throughout our scripture passage, our text is verses 10 through 20. And I will read at this time verses 10, 13, and 14, where you have these repeated calls not to be afraid. 10, 13, and 14. Fear thou not. For I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Then verse 13. For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. And then verse 14. Fear not, thou worm Jacob. And ye men of Israel, I will help thee, saith the Lord, 
and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Thus far, the words of our text, our theme looking to the Lord tonight is, Fear not, I will help you. We'll see, first of all, against enemies, verses 10 through 13. God promises his presence against enemies. Secondly, with mountains, verse 14 through 16, or you could say his power with mountains. And then thirdly, his provision when thirsty, 17 through 20. So, fear not, I will help thee. With my presence against enemies, verses 10 through 13. With power against mountains, 14 through 16. And then my provision when thirsty, 17 through 20. Well, congregation, fear. What a powerful emotion fear is. Children, are you ever afraid? Maybe in the dark or when you feel alone or when you are alone? Fear, experts tell us, is one of the most powerful Emotions, one of the seven universal emotions experienced by everyone around the world. And fear rises up in our hearts when there is that threat of harm, whether it's physical or emotional or psychological, real or imagined. And fear can have a healthy and positive function as well because it keeps us alert and safe from dangers. It is good, children, to be afraid of fire and coming too close to fire or the stove because you, you, you might be really hurt. And so to be afraid of that is, 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 actually, is actually good. To be afraid of crossing the road when there's cars and trucks passing is, is good, it's necessary, it's It's healthy. There are some people who, who try never to fear anything. And some people pretend, and they, they pretend it well, not to ever be afraid. It used to be, and perhaps even today, sometimes you have these bumper stickers that people put on the back of their windshield or, or, or cars, and it says, no fear. And um, in the end of the day, people cannot escape fear, even if you push it away for a long time, even if you think that you will just stand strong and never be afraid of anything, what will you do when disease strikes? What will you do when death draws near? What will you do when the Jordan River of death looms large before you? Many people who have kept a a stiff upper lip Yet in the face of death, they realize they must fear. And so there is this good and necessary and healthy fear. In fact, the Lord says this in the early part of our chapter. In verse 5, he he says that the, the isle saw it and feared. And this is a good fear. This is a necessary fear. This is the fear of God which is the beginning of wisdom. But congregation, fear also can work not so positively, but negatively in in a way that cripples us, that wears us down, 
makes us deeply discouraged even or even to despair. There are people who live in a constant state of fear and that is a miserable way to live. And if there are people who live like that, we ought to empathize with them and seek to show sympathy to them. Children too can, through, through experiences, through trauma and the like, they can be overcome by fear. They can be looking out on the world around them and fear greatly. And we ought to be prepared to, to listen and to speak truth, reassuring truth in the light of, of such fear to those who experience debilitating fear. But notice how the Lord here in our text, he speaks with great tenderness and reassurance to his people. He says it not just once, but many times throughout these verses, fear not. Fear not. Well, why does the Lord say this? And that is because his people do fear. And in verse 11, he speaks first of all to his fearing people who have many enemies, who come against them, who hate them and oppose them and trouble them. And of course, Israel had many enemies. And the people of God in every age have enemies. You've often heard it. Dear believers here, you have a three-headed enemy. Satan, the world, and your own flesh. And they can sometimes be so fierce, so strong. Their devices against you, their attacks upon you can be such that you fear greatly. Satan does not want your happiness, child of God. He wants to get you in his sift, in order to sift you like wheat. He wants your ruin. And if he can't get that, he wants at least your great discomfort. And he wants to hinder you in every possible way for witness a sense of comfort and confidence in the Lord. Well, what does the Lord say to his believing people regarding their enemies? He comes and he reassures them and he says, Fear not, for I am with thee. My presence is there for you, trembling believer. I am there in your trouble. I am there near at hand, not far away. And what a comfort this is to the people of God to know know that the Lord is with them. Sometimes we feel, dear believers, that the Lord is far away. We don't sense his presence. We look and like Job we say we, we cannot find him. And yet his word says the opposite. His word says to the child of God, I am with you. And in the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that is true. Because the Lord has called the name of his son, Emmanuel, God with us. The Lord Jesus Christ, the son of God, has taken our nature to himself that he might be like us and with us. And near us in all things. 
He has been made like us in all things sin accepted. He knows what it is to be tried. He knows what it is to be tempted. He knows what it is to be, to feel weak and even forsaken. He, in fact, was forsaken. While you, dear child of God, can never be truly forsaken. And so he comforts the people of God here with his presence, saying, I am with you. Children, it is a comfort to you when you are scared to know that your parent or someone whom you rely on and can trust in is, is, is safely with you, that gives you a sense of security, especially if they hold your hand. And notice how the Lord says this here in our text, I have holden you by my right hand. Verse 13, for I, the Lord, thy God, will hold thy right hand and say unto thee, fear not. Imagine, children, that you're on a playground and someone older than you is bullying you, teasing you, maybe wants to hurt you, but the teacher comes over to you, or an older brother or sister, and takes your hand and stands with you against this bully. You feel secure, don't you? You feel their strength. You know you're protected. That is exactly what the Lord does spiritually for his people. He comes to their aid. He holds them, we read here, with the right hand of his righteousness. The Lord has a right hand that is strong to save. And it speaks of his own righteousness whereby he vindicates his people. We have no righteousness in ourselves. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. But the Lord can stand against Satan, child of God, when Satan points to your filthy rags, shows how wretched you are, and and you are, in truth, from your side. But the Lord's righteousness is highly exalted. The Lord's hand is a hand of righteousness, and he clothes you with strength, and he clothes you with the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, so that you may stand dressed in his righteousness not your own. So the Lord is present with his fearful people. And the result of this is, as you can read in the next verses, verse 11 and 12, that the enemies are ashamed. They shall be as nothing. They shall be as a thing of naught. Thou shalt seek them, the Lord says, and shalt not find them, even them that contended with you your persecutors, those that war against you, they will not be found. They will be as nobody, as nothing. They may loom large in your mind just now, but through the Lord and through the Lord's strength, they will be like nothing. Oh, how necessary it is, child of God, that you would fix your hope in the Lord that you would look beyond your circumstances or let me say it this way, through your circumstances to the one who is everywhere, present, whose word stands secure. Oh, to lean on his promises. Oh, to take him at his word. Be of good cheer. It is I. 
Be not afraid, the Lord says. To find in the Lord's promises everything that your soul needs. To be so exactly suited for you. So perfectly matched to you. The Lord doesn't say here, strengthen yourself. At least get to that point where where your fear is somewhat under control and then I will do the rest. No, I will help you. The Lord with me I shall not fear. Though human might oppose, the Lord my helper, I shall be triumphant o'er my foes. No trust in men or kings of men can confidence afford, but they are strong and sure their trust, whose hope is in the Lord. But then, child of God, don't lean on your own understanding. Isn't that our problem so often that we try our own strategies? We look within, we try to come out with our own solutions, with the self-help that we think will be true help. The Bible makes it very clear. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Vain is the help of men. But when we lean on the Lord, we need not fear. And so the Lord has a promise for his people against their enemies and all their devices. But the Lord doesn't stop there. He comes with an added promise, and this is in verses 14 through 16. And this is about his power with the mountains before us. Let's read verses 14 through 16. Fear not, thou worm, Jacob, and ye men of Israel, I will help thee, saith the Lord. There you have it again. I will help thee. And thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, behold, I will make thee a new sharp threshing instrument having teeth. Thou shalt thresh the mountains and beat them small and shalt make the hills as chaff. Thou shalt fan them and the wind shall carry them away and the whirlwind shall scatter them and thou shalt rejoice in the Lord and shalt glory in the Holy One of Israel. Notice what name the Lord gives his people. Thou worm, Jacob. Every child here has seen a worm. Maybe after the rain on your driveway or sidewalk. Or maybe you're digging in the earth and then all of a sudden there's this worm. This worm of the dust. This worm of the ground. And what is more helpless than a worm? This animal that lives on the ground or in the ground, so easily stepped on, so despised, so weak. A worm cannot look down on anyone or anything. It looks up at the world around it. And everything is so big and so large to the worm. And if you feel in front of mountains that they are large and they loom before you, how much more a little worm of the dust? That's how the people of God often feel. No more than worms looking up at these towering mountains. I can't can't scale them. I can't climb them. 
And every child of God has mountains. Everyone, really, in life has mountains to scale and mountains looming before them. Even children here, you look ahead. Maybe you've just come through grade one or two or three. Or, but there you look over the next years. School. And maybe school's not easy for you. How can I ever get through elementary school and then high school? And then some people, they go on to college and university and I have to get skilled to do a job and be a mom or a dad and work hard. Teenage years, there can be great mountains of peer pressure, temptations of experiences that you have and struggles that, sh that bear down upon you. You're no match to them. And sometimes you can feel so small, so, such a worm compared to this huge mountain and you just want to give up. How can I surmount these challenges? And you can become paralyzed with fear. And the Lord doesn't say to the people, well, you're not a worm. You've got to think bigger thoughts regarding yourself. You're a gazelle. Or you're a lion. The Lord doesn't say that. In fact, he says here, thou worm Jacob. He calls us what we are. And he adds to it, ye men of Israel. And the word is not the usual word for men. It, it literally means mortals. You mortals of Israel. Meaning you, you, you have death already in you and you will die. The Lord is so honest about who we are. He doesn't polish it up. He doesn't make it look better than it is. No. He calls the things that are not as though they were. That's God. And he speaks so realistically and honestly about who we are because he will exalt himself. I will help thee. Now, congregation, if there is not a miracle in these words, I don't know what is a miracle. That God would help a worm. And not just a worm in the sense that we're small, but a worm in the sense that we are despised because of our sin. We've come short of the glory of God. God has made us upright. But we've, we've thought out many inventions. We've become, through our sin, broken, despised, useless in, in a certain sense with respect to the glory of God. We come short of the glory of God. And that the Lord would stoop to help a worm. What a wonder. And the promise that the Lord gives to worms is astounding. Listen to what the Lord says. He says he will make his worm Jacob, the mortals of Israel, a sharp threshing instrument having teeth. Now maybe you wonder what that is, children. This is a piece of farm equipment that they used to use in ancient times, and I'm told in some poorer 
farm areas of the world, even in the Middle East, they sometimes use this still today. And it's a piece of equipment that has sharp teeth underneath it. And it would be hooked up behind oxen and they would take corn and other things like that and they'd go over a mountain of corn, for example, with this, with this sledge, with these teeth. And what would happen is the corn kernels would be taken off of the husks and they would fall to the ground because they're heavier. And the other things, especially, you know, the, the, the chaff, they would be driven away by the wind. That's actually what it says here. And the Lord says to his people here that he will make them to be such with respect to the mountains standing before them. And not just mountains of corn, not just little hills of, of produce, but with the great insurmountable mountains before them. The Lord will do that for his people, for his worm Jacob, and for the mortals of Israel. Now where do we see this? Let me give you two examples. What happened in the days of the apostles? Here was Simon Peter, John, James, Andrew, and the rest of them. Who were they? For the most part, they were fishermen or common everyday laborers, not educated people, not many noble, not many wise, not many wealthy. They, they, were, they were the despised of the earth. They were all worms, mortals, poor, ignorant in terms of man's perspective. And yet what did the Lord do with these 12 apostles whom he raised up? He empowered them with his spirit. He helped them by day and by night. And these 12 apostles, they went through the whole world, the whole world at that time, the whole Mediterranean empire. And they threshed mountains. The Lord used them to bring the gospel everywhere so that within a generation, most of these areas had been blanketed with the truth of Jesus Christ and the gospel of sovereign grace. Twelve men. Worms of themselves, despised. And yet the Lord made them to thresh mountains. Or how about Martin Luther? He was a worm. He discovered that. When the gospel of Jesus Christ went open to him, he realized that he was a worm before God. That his righteousness was as filthy rags before the Lord. And he was condemnable. He was despicable. He had nothing that was pleasing to the Lord and he could do nothing. Pleasing to the Lord without the Lord. And here was this mountain of the Roman Catholic Church. Such an imposing, powerful mountain. And this one man, Luther, with the help of the Lord, he threshed that mountain and also others with him, John Calvin and others, Tyndale, William Tyndale, who translated the New Testament and other parts of the Bible so that even a, a plowboy in England would have the word of God in his, own, in his own language. And in the short span of time in which he labored for the Lord, the Lord took Tyndale and Calvin and others, and these worms 
We're made to thresh the mountains of power, of deceit, and of wickedness. And the Lord wrought great miracles through them. Do you see, congregation, what the Lord can do? How his help is all sufficient. How his might, when it is brought to bear in our lives, in our weakness, and in our sin, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And he says it here in this text, fear not, worm Jacob. And you mortals of Israel, I will help you. I will show you powerful things that you knew not. I will make you to be a powerful instrument in my hand. And this is a promise for the church of all times and of places. And for all God's people in every age. To not look to themselves. To not muster strength within ourselves. But to find it all in God. And to pray for it. On our knees before the Lord, that we would know what it is in the midst of our weakness, shame, suffering, to be used of the Lord, and that through His help, we will do valiantly. We'll scale walls. We'll do what pleases Him and what brings glory and honor to Him. If we but eye Him, if we but trust Him, if we but lean on Him with all our sin, with all our shame, not pretending to be any more than we truly are. Friends, if we come, by the Lord, come to the Lord as worms, as sinners, as weak, as weary, as worn, and we confess before Him our sin and our shame, but we look to Him and His promises and lean upon omnipotence through the Lord Jesus Christ. Who can tell what the Lord will do? We may not see it. We may not live to see it. But eternity will reveal what the Lord has done through His worms, through His Jacobs, through His people, who in their weakness find strength in the Lord. When I am weak, then I am strong. And congregation that the Lord, in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, came all the way from the glories of heaven down to this earth, to you and to me. And In the virgin birth, he was contracted there into a span, bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. Yes, indeed, in his divine nature, he, he lost none of his strength and power, and yet with respect to his human nature, he was weak. Certainly at times, he was worn. He was weary. He sat by the well of Jacob, weary, hungry. And in that night of suffering, when in Gethsemane he crawled on the earth as a worm and no man, he was made like unto us in all things sin accepted. In fact, congregation, he was made a worm and no man, as Psalm 22 says it. I am a worm and no man. 
Imagine that. All out of love. All for grace. All for sinners like you and me who never asked for him. Who never sought him. Who never longed for him. Never desired him. Who in fact nailed him to the cross. Pierced him with our sin. Railed against him pressed a crown of thorns upon him. And yet for love, and out of love, he came and he said, Worm, Jacob, I will help thee. Oh, he proved in his suffering and death for sinners how low he would stoop, how deep he would go, even into the forsakenness of hell even to the darkness of the wrath of God forever. Such love moved him to do that. The mountains of his people's sin stood before him. Mountains that rose up to the heavens. Mountains that separated between us and our God, people of God those mountains of sin and of guilt which towered to the heavens, which called down judgment upon you and me. He, in weakness, was crucified, yet he lives to exercise power in the gospel and in righteousness and in sanctification and in all of redemption. Thomas Boston says, Jesus Christ has engaged his almighty power on the side of the worm over against the mountains. What love, what grace, what mercy for sinners like us. Oh, congregation, do you see how he took those mountains of sin and of shame, of misery and of guilt, and through his suffering and death on the cross, He has leveled them. No, he's done more. He's cast them into the sea of forgetfulness so that they can be found no more. When the crooked are made, places are made straight and the rough places he makes plain. That's my Jesus. That's my Savior. And he did it for sinners. For for sinners. And if you're here today and fear besets you and anxiety has a hold on you, my friend, listen to the one who speaks repeatedly, reassuringly. Yes, to sinners. Yes, to those who are worshiping idols. Yes, to those who of themselves are bound to idols. As this whole passage makes clear, You know, not the righteous, not the righteous, but sinners, Jesus came to save. The Lord here speaks to the nations, to idolaters, to those who are fashioning idols, you can read about it, and falling before their gods and worshiping them. He says in the gospel, he says, I will help you. I alone am God and there is none else. 
I am the first, I am the last. Look unto me, all ye ends of the earth, and be you saved, ye islands. You who feel so alone, you from the end of the earth, you cry. When your heart is overwhelmed, look unto me. But for you who are worshiping idols and you love your sin and you love your idols and your hearts are bound to your idols, oh, my friend, you should fear as long as you are in the grip of your idols and you are bound to them and you worship them. You see, when the Lord says here, fear not, I will help you, he says it to those that are looking to him in all their need and all their misery and with all their sin indeed, he will help them. But to those who clutch their idols, who look to their idols to give them happiness and satisfaction, to give them a place in this world, oh, my friend, if this is you, you should fear as long as you do this. Those who worship gods of wood and stone, things of their own making, those things that are not God, these things cannot satisfy. They will be destroyed, and so will all those who worship them. They shall be made like unto them, the Bible says. Oh, my friend, if this is you tonight, then fear, but seek God. Come before God as a sinner and nothing else. And say, as we read in another passage in the Word of God, what have I to do with idols? I will leave them alone. They cannot help me. God alone must be my refuge and my fortress. For those of you here today, you feel yourself to be so undeserving. Why would the Lord ever have dealings with you, you think? I've sinned so much. I've sinned so long. I have nothing that the Lord could use from my side. I'm weak. I'm helpless. I'm sinful. I'm shameful. My friend, do you remember that centurion? When he heard that the Lord was coming to his house, he sent messengers and he said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof. In other words, I'm, I'm a worm. I'm despised. I'm not worthy at all. The Lord said of him, I have not seen so great faith. No, not in Israel. The Lord will have dealings with such who fear, who tremble, and yet seek the Lord. Or think of Mephibosheth. Children, you know Mephibosheth. Remember him? He was lame on both his feet. In fact, he says, I am but a dead dog. In other words, he's saying, I'm useless. I'm useless to David. I'm useless to the Lord. And yet he will sit at the king's table. And Mephibosheth was made a vessel throughout all the generations, so much so that we hear about him. And how many people Mephibosheth has been used in their life to encourage them, to help them. The Lord only knows Think of that woman with the issue of blood. So desperate, so weak, life ebbing from her. 
so ashamed. She came from behind, fearing, it says, and trembling. And yet to her the Lord said, Be of good cheer, fear not, I will help thee. And the Lord helped her. People of God, remember this. Who does the Lord use? Worms. Be content to be and to stay a worm from your side because the Lord has a promise for worms. I will help you. Just picture that. The Lord, hand in hand with a worm of the dust. Is there anything more moving than that? God who in Jesus Christ stoops to raise us from the dust and to make us to sit with him. How can it be? And then, child of God, the promise of God is such. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, before Christ, thou shalt become a plain. That's what the Lord promises. And what that all looks like in our life, the Lord only knows. But plead this promise and look to him who speaks and who cannot lie. His word is sure, both then as now. And he can make a path where there is no path. He can open rivers so that you can cross over them. He can make a way in the wilderness. And he can make the sad and forlorn to find a helper in the Lord. There is no helper like the Lord. And the Lord loves to show his help to helpless souls so that they learn to sing, he helped me. In my deepest woes, his grace abideth ever. That's music to the ears of Jehovah. He loves to help the helpless. He's promised it. So find it then. As we see thirdly in our third point that the Lord promises his help, not only against enemies, not only against mountains, but third, thirdly and lastly, against thirst. Because congregation, sometimes it's not what is around you that is your greatest obstacle, enemies or mountains. But what you need most help with is what's inside you. Your thirst, your thirsty soul, that parched soul that needs water. And as you seek to do what the Lord has called you to do, whether it is to parent or to be an office bearer or to be a light in a dark place or to do your work wherever the Lord has placed you or to go through trials that you have no idea how it is that you can come through them to the other side. And inside it feels sometimes like you're but a wilderness, a parched place. Well, my friend, if that is you tonight, listen to what the Lord has to say. When the poor and needy seek water and there is none, imagine that, looking for water and you look and you can't find them and the parched heart of yours is just growing more and more parched. There is none and their tongue faileth for thirst. They can't even cry. They've tried crying, but they've gotten so thirsty that their tongue fails for thirst. There's no cry anymore that is coming from their mouth, yet the Lord hears them. 
because he hears the cry of our heart. He knows the secret cry of our soul. I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. You know, sometimes this can happen even as we are battling sin and as we are seeking to bring down mountains before us. I think of Samson, that judge, who was raised up by the Lord, weak in himself. We know how weak he was, but the Lord used him to judge Israel. And he even on one occasion slew a hundred Philistines with a jawbone. But then at the end of all that, Judges 15, verse 18, he became so very thirsty and he realized how weak he was, how mortal he truly was. He was so thirsty and he could find no water. But did the Lord forsake him? Did the Lord give him up? No. The Lord opened a river of water and he could quench and slack his thirst. And so too, congregation, the Lord knows our every need. Not just the big mountains before us, but also he knows that dearth within us. He knows when we get to the end of our resources, when we have no more strength, when we have no more what it is to refresh our own souls. We're nothing but a parched wilderness. The Lord knows. And what is his promise? Is it for a drop? We'd understand that, wouldn't we? Is it for a cup of cold water? We would understand that. There's much greater than that. Notice what he says here. I will open rivers in high places and fountains in the midst of valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. In other words, there is such overflowing abundance in the Lord. There is truly a ocean. The breadth and the height and the depth of which we cannot imagine. And not just for you, poor sinner here today, crying for water as you do. The Lord can open such an abundance of water so as to slack the thirst of every living soul. And here's the truth. The Lord opens these things as his people, as his parched people cry for refreshing rain. When they feel themselves so dry and parched, when they realize that they are not what they need to be and they don't have what they need to be for themselves or for the people around them. Like the disciples who were told to feed the thousands of people around them and they they said, "We, we don't have what it takes even if we went to the stores and we bought them empty, we, we, we wouldn't have what it takes. But they brought their need before the Lord, and the Lord opened, in the language of our text, he opened rivers and high places and fountains in the midst of the valleys. You see, congregation, he is God. Why do we forget that he is God? He is not a man like you and me. He's not limited like you and me. He is God over all. And his promise is sure. And his son, the Lord, in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, he is ready to hear the poor and needy when they cry. And he has such abundant riches that the world could not contain it. 
He is himself a fountain of living water. And the Lord Jesus Christ said it when he cried out in the temple in the last day of the feast. He says, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and let him drink. And out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. In other words, it's not just for the sinner who drinks, but they in turn become a channel to others and the Lord shows his grace. And so it is every time. Why does the Lord do this? For what purpose does the Lord do this? That they may see and know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this and that the Holy One of Israel has created it. The Lord wants to astound us with his greatness, with his glory, with his magnificence, with his power. God, forgive us for our small thoughts of him. May God give us faith to believe his word, which gives us great thoughts of his mercy, of his power, of his ability, of his design in the midst of our world. The Lord Jesus Christ made this so abundantly clear. He came into our misery. He hung between heaven and earth. And if ever a soul was parched, it was his. When he cried in dereliction, in the forsakenness of hell, for all his people in every generation, he cried out, I thirst. In order that you sinner here tonight, may come and drink and drink abundantly. You may press your parched mouth and soul. All the need of your life into that fountain of crystal clear water which proceeds from the throne of God for sinners And by faith, looking out of yourself, not with any righteousness from your side, not with even any resolve from your side to somehow repay the Lord for what he has done, but as a sinner and nothing more but leaning on omnipotence, leaning on mercy, leaning on Christ held out in the gospel. You drink and drink and drink until you want no more. Congregation, this is the promise of God for needy souls, for fearing, trembling sinners here tonight. It's all in Christ. It's all laid open in Him. Come to Him and find it all in Him. You'll never be unimpressed. You'll be overwhelmed at mercy for a sinner like you. Horatius Boner put it like this. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Behold, I freely give. The living water, thirsty one, stoop down and drink and live. I came to Jesus and I drank Of that life-giving stream, my thirst was quenched, my soul revived, and now I live in him.
Congregation, it's for sinners tonight. Don't stand afar off. Draw near with all your need, with all your sin, with all your weakness, with all your hopelessness. The Lord will yet be inquired of the house of Jacob to do it for them. Don't go on in your sin. Don't let shame, disgrace hold you back. Don't let the mountains that loom before you be arguments against going to the Lord. May they all be arguments to find it in the Lord, to lean on Him, to trust in Him, to fall upon Him with all your weakness and sin, and to drink and drink and drink until you want no more. For Jesus' sake, amen. Let us pray. Gracious, good-doing, and almighty Lord God, thy word is true, both now as it ever was. It's a sure word. It is steadfast. Thy promises are yea and amen in Jesus Christ. Oh, may we then come, all of us, out of our sin and shame, with no argument from our side save for mercy, to plead, to beg for mercy, and to find such glorious mercy, wide, deep, bottomless, fathomless mercy for sinners. O oh Lord, then may we not stay away. May we not argue with the overtures of thy mercy. May we not in that great day be among those who will have no drop to cool their tongue because, as thou wilt justly say in that day, ye would not. Make a people willing in the day of thy power, and may they come. Before it is too late, may they come today. And all out of free grace, for the glory of thy name, we ask this in Jesus' name alone. Amen.